Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. It's good to be back with you. It's been a few weeks, but we are going to continue this morning in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Everybody okay? Everybody all right this morning? Good. I'm glad to hear it. Y'all were singing good. I was enjoying that and almost forgot I had to preach while I was sitting over there. And then that video came on and reminded me that I need to get ready. Acts chapter 3, we're going to continue in the narrative. We kind of came to a conclusion. I just want to say how thankful I am for Josh Duncan preaching two weeks ago and bringing that last section. I told the guys as things laid out, Josh Duncan preached in in the, the... first service here and then Alex preached in the second and Stephen preached in the third. I told those guys that laid out that was one of my favorite passages and I was going to make sure I was listening intently that they did it right is what I told them. (laughs) And so they did a fantastic job, really thankful for them. That kind of ends that section, if you will, almost puts a conclusion about this is what authentic Christianity is and now we move into chapter three. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we start with, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, And said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and how you have recorded these events for us so as we can learn about who you are and what you have done for us, God. And so now as we look to this passage, I ask that you help us. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to recognize our need for you, Father. And just as you have always done, continue to do. Change hearts and lives for your glory. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, as they finished up that last passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that's what I would refer to or some have referred to as authentic Christianity, true Christianity, where they were there day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. This is what they were doing. This is what the first church saw fit to respond with of the not only resurrect death and resurrection of Jesus, but the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what it looked like. They were fascinated, really. They were centered and fascinated on Jesus Christ. 
I think that's important for us to remember as we, remember as we move through this. They did not have a system yet that they had moved into. There was no denomination that they had known of. They simply were fascinated and centered upon Jesus Christ, his person and his work, who he is and what he had done for them. And their message was found in that. Their message was more than just some philosophical or ethical scheme, if you will. In fact, it was not that at all. It was Jesus. Uh, it was how he can forgive sins, how he can bring them true joy. If you look back through that chapter, that's what they're talking about, how Jesus forgives sins. He's the source of their joy. He's the one that was crucified and resurrected on their behalf. He is both Lord and Christ. He changes and transforms lives. That's what we'd seen, really, by evidence of Peter himself, a changed and transformed man. One who had denied Jesus, we've talked about this before, who had denied Jesus on the night of his betrayal, only to be the one who stands up just a few weeks later to proclaim him in front of everybody that would hear. Peter is a changed, transformed man, and so are all the apostles, having been changed by Jesus, transformed by his power. We would get to another apostle who would put this in perspective named Paul, one untimely born. We'll get to him later. But Paul says in Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is a verse that speaks of that transforming power of Jesus Christ. That takes the old, it passes away, and everything else becomes new. And when we consider this passage this morning, Acts 3, 1 through 10, what I want us to consider as we've been looking at this section of how the Lord builds his church, I want us to consider that the Lord builds his church by transforming lives for his glory. The Lord builds his church by transforming lives for his glory. And this transforming power of Jesus Christ, this transforming power of Jesus Christ is about to be on display for all to see. If they hadn't noticed it there in Pentecost, if they hadn't seen it on that first one where 3,000 souls were saved, they're going to see it today as Peter and John step into the temple. And as Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are new. What we want to see in our passage is how have these things become new? What has become new as Peter and John head to the temple on this day? We're not sure how long it has passed since Pentecost. He doesn't tell us that. He just simply says, now Peter and John were going. We're not sure the days or the numbers. It seems to be in close proximity to that time of Pentecost, especially by the reaction that we'll see next week through the Sanhedrin and the other leadership when they see what has happened. But what we know is that Peter and John were going up to the temple. And as they now have a new walk with the Lord, they have become new creations, if you will. It's a new day with a new perspective as they go up to the temple. A new day with a new perspective. Our passage tells us that they're going up to this temple. This idea of the temple, it says this, by the way, uh, three times. The temple is mentioned three times in this section, which gives us this sense that they want us to understand what was taking place. They were going up. The temple was up on the mountain. It was elevated. And that was not only in the physical nature of where it sat uh, geographically in Jerusalem, but also in the hearts of the people. This temple was mightily important. In fact, it was the center of culture and life for the Jews. 
It had been built by Herod. This was Herod's temple. Remember, Solomon built the first. That was tore down. And now you have this new temple that's put there. And this is the center of life. And this temple would, would be massive. It was huge. It sat up where everybody could see it in the city. And there was a 45-foot colonnade that went all the way around the temple. And some of that was used for different things. Some of it was used for meeting, where you would meet together in that colonnade where it would be cool in the shade. Some of it was used for the teaching of the rabbis. They would be in that area where they would teach. And others, this is where Jesus would teach when he went into the temple. Others would use it like the Sanhedrin. They would meet on another side in this colonnade to meet there. And then the rest of this colonnade would be used for commercial things and what was needed. The apostles' work in Acts, as we remember, is a continuation of the work of Jesus. In fact, as Luke starts this book of Acts, he simply says that. This is continuing what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. And so they're continuing the work of Christ Jesus. And so just as when Jesus was in the temple or went to the temple to pray, so the disciples are going into the temple to pray. But remember what happened when Jesus did go into the temple to pray one day. If you remember that story in Matthew chapter 21, one you kind of hear referred to often. On that day, Jesus went into the temple to pray, but what he found was that commercial section of the temple was being overtaken by people who were cheating the system, remember? He found that they had not made room for others to come in to pray, that they were cheating the system. In Matthew 21, they were, they were cheating everybody and they were using it for their benefit. And so Jesus came into the temple that pray and he turned the place upside down. In fact, he did it literally. He walked up to where they were doing these things, where they were using and abusing this time and this space, and he flipped the tables upside down so as to say, my house, God's house, is a house of prayer, as he quotes the Psalms. This is a house of prayer. So Jesus flips the temple upside down, turns things upside down when he goes, and it's not being used what it should be used for. And just as he came to the temple that day, uh, just as Peter and John came to the temple that day, they came in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus is coming to the temple that day. Just as it has told, this is just a continuation, and they're going for prayer. And just as that time Jesus went and the tables were flipped upside down, this would be a time where Peter and John go, and they're going to flip the place upside down as well. This is going to be an occasion where they're going to turn the temple upside down. This is going to be a, a continuation of what Jesus says. They're going to change things dramatically. They're going to show that now this is a new day and there is a new perspective by which we understand all of this. But even as they went to pray, they knew things had changed. Even as they go to the temple, just like they'd done before with Jesus, they knew they were going to that temple in a different way than ever before. This was not where they go to meet God. In fact, that's what the Jews believed. The temple was the place where God dwelt. 
with his people, right? That's what that holy of holies is that you may have heard about before inside the temple where no one could enter in but the high priest once a year on that day of atonement. That's where God dwelt. That's where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. That's where they put the showbread in there. It was God's house. And so God dwelt at the temple. So if you wanted to worship in that Jewish tradition, you had to go to the temple to worship. You could learn in the synagogues. You could go to those and do some things, but it was at the temple that was where worship was found. And so that was a special place to them. As I said, the center of not only their culture, but also their life. You had to go there to meet God. But now things had changed. As I said, this is a new day. And so as Peter and John go to the temple, they recognize that it's not the temple where they meet God. In fact, it was John who said this or who recorded it in John chapter 2 of his gospel. Whenever Jesus looked at the temple and said, I can tear, you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days, remember? And so he said this, and they look at him and say, well, it took 46 years for them to build this temple. There's no way if they tear the temple down, you can rebuild it in three days. But John, John says, we learned that day, or we remembered that, and whenever he was raised from the dead, we're reminded that that's what he meant. That the temple of God, the place where we meet God, the place where we find God, the place where God and man can be found together or united together is not in a building or a space, but it's in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is where we find God. In fact, the Gospels tell us this over and over again. We don't need to go to a special place or a special little uh, a zone. Surely we have some place in our life that we feel closer to God. Surely we have those things, but I want you to understand, we don't need that. We can go to God and we meet God in the person of Jesus Christ, not in any geographic location. And so when Peter and John go into the temple, they go with a new day and a new perspective. They know that they're going in not to meet God. They're going in with God, with them. Jesus is with them as they go. They're going in this every step with a, a, a new confidence because of this new day. And they also knew not only, not only was Jesus with them, not confined to this place, they also knew that prayer, as they were going to pray, prayer was not confined to a place or time as well. In fact, it says they went at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon. That's when they had the prayer. So maybe that's the time they, they came in and, and, and some idea that that's when you had to go and pray. Peter and John went just like Jesus had gone before, but they knew that prayer wasn't confined to a time or a place. That now what Jesus has brought about is that we meet God in Christ and we can go to him anytime or any place. Everything has changed then. It's a new day for them. And because of that new day, it gives them a new perspective. In other words, Jesus puts meaning into their routine. I love what happens here because Peter and John don't stop what they're doing. They continue to do what they've always done. They continue to go in it. But now they go into those things they've always done with a new perspective on all of it. They recognize that it's not dependent on them when they get into the temple to worship God. They found God in Jesus Christ, and he has come to them. They recognize that prayer is not confined to a time or a place, but we can go to him. But still yet, they now continue to do their regular routine, where they work, where they play, where they live. Everything now, because of Christ, has a new perspective. Has a new perspective. 
And I guess that's the question for us this morning, right? How has Jesus changed your perspective? How do you view your life now? You're doing the same thing. Sometimes it, you may think that, and, we, and the language we may use that when you come to Christ, he changes you. But you recognize on the other side of that, he doesn't change you by changing your personality. He doesn't change you by changing your, your, your memories and what you had before. He doesn't change you by changing your job. Sometimes he might. But he doesn't change you in that sense. He changes you from the very perspective that you see life on now. When you go to the temple, you see it in a different way. When you go to work, you see work as a different thing. It's not the end. It's not the what gives you meaning. It's not what gives you life. It's not your identity. When you're at home with your family, you see family in a different way. You're not just concerned about this, that, and the other that keeps us all up at night. Now you're concerned that your family loves Jesus and follows him too. Where you play, where you do all these things, you're not just looking at these people that you're, that you're now with. And looking at them as just some other people that you got to deal with. That's the way it is, right? If you play sports, your kids play sports, and then you, they get on a team, you don't get to pick the parents that uh, own the team. Y'all know what I'm saying? Some of y'all may, you may have teams like that, but you go and you got to figure out, all right, what am I, this is what I do. I go and I figure out what, what hand I've been dealt. Who are the cool people? Who are the people I want to see? Who are the people I want to sit beside? Where am I putting my chair? Y'all know what I'm saying. And so you're doing that all the time, but now because of Christ, you see as them as opportunities to share and have gospel conversations. What I'm saying is you don't stop your regular routine. You continue that, but you do it with a new perspective because Jesus is alive. And you go with him. That's exactly what Peter and John say. What's new is a new day with a new perspective in their life. And it changed Peter and John as they went into the temple that day. Because not only do they have a new day with a new perspective, they also have a new walk with a new power outside the temple. Luke wants us to be clear. It was outside the temple. There was a lame man. He'd been brought there by his friends, by his family, by someone who lay him there daily. And they lay him by... It says it, I think, a couple times maybe. The beautiful gate. The imagery is clear. Here you have one who cannot walk. He's been lame. And not only has he been lame, he's been lame from birth. And so you have one who cannot walk, lame from birth, being carried, laid there by the beautiful gate. Not able to go inside. In fact, there was laws and rules about those who were lame, who wouldn't be able to do it. There were laws and rules that they couldn't enter into the temple. They had to stay outside. And this one is there, and he's placed outside the gate. A lame man, not able to walk. And he, he's simply doing what's called almsgiving. He's, he's asking for money. He's, he, he recognizes how important this is because in the Jewish uh, culture and life and understanding, giving alms to someone in need was considered doing justice, right? It was considered, it was part of their acts of worship. And if you're, if you're stacking up your good works, trying to do good, then giving alms would be something you can do. So if you go into the temple, like you're going to church and you're starting to say, I want to do that coming out, you may think I can give him some money too, or I can do this because this will help me. So he's sitting there, knowing that that's the case, trying to find some money there every day, as it says. But notice the new walk, if you will, of Peter and John, the new perspective that could. 
They could have just passed by this lame man. And be honest, Peter and John probably have done this many times. It's not as if Jerusalem was some mega city. Surely a lot of people came in. But, but if this man was by this gate every single day, Peter and John surely had been by there before. And not only that, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say that I would say Peter and John had, had possibly given him alms before and given him something uh, there that they had so that, that he could find something. He's probably been by there. In fact, I find it interesting that the text tells us when he saw Peter and John coming, he called out to them. Maybe they had given it to him before. And so they see him, they see Peter and John coming and this one calls out. He calls out to Peter and John, seeing Peter and John in verse 3, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze. Peter had probably seen Jesus do this many times. As he looks at him, directs his gaze, something that most people probably didn't do, probably didn't look upon him, probably cost it maybe too uncomfortable or whatever it may be, but Peter directs his gaze. And Peter says to him, look at me. Look at me. In other words, eye contact. I've got something to tell you that's important. In fact, it tells us that John did the same thing. When we walk in Jesus, as Peter is doing on this new day with this new perspective, we notice people, right? When you walk with Christ Jesus, you notice people. People begin to matter more than ever before. When you walk in Christ, people matter. Maybe they'd seen him before, maybe they'd seen him, but today they saw him, if you know what I mean, for the first time. Today they looked upon this one as one that needed something greater. They had had pity or they had uh, desire and had some compassion upon this one. Let Let me really help you today because Peter knew he had something this day than greater than he'd ever had before. And Peter says, really one of those great verses in Scripture, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Greater than money, Peter says, I've got the name of Christ Jesus. This new day, a new walk comes with new power. Peter has a power with him that's greater than ever before, the power of the name of Christ Jesus And everything that comes with that name, what this lame man thought he needed in money is trumped by what he really needed, Christ, a Savior. It's Jesus that we ultimately need. It's Jesus that we ultimately need. Now, that's not to say we don't need to eat. Y'all know how all of y'all that are parents are in here, you've been through the whole process of needs and wants. We have that discussion quite regularly. You know what I'm saying? Proper uses of these words. We have needs and we have wants, right? Well, there are certain things you need, like food, clothing, those kind of things. Those are needs. But there are something, or there is something that you need greater than all your other needs. There is something you need greater than everything else. Because you can eat yourself uh, full every single day and still not have what you need. You can have them wear the greatest of outfits and clothes, but you still not have what you need. And Peter and John say this to him. He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I've got something greater than that, something greater than all of your other needs. I've got Christ. And then verse 7, 
as he says, rise up and walk, took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter calls on this lame man to do something he could not do. He calls on this lame man to get up and walk. He's had his friends carry him every day. He's been lame from birth. He calls upon him to do something he could not do. It reminds me of another miracle in Matthew chapter 9. There in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals the paralytic. And listen to what he says here. He says, getting into the boat, he crossed over to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives his sins because of their faith. They had faith, Jesus forgives their sins. And everybody then does what? And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? Jesus said, That will be easy for me to do, right? Just simply look at you and say, Hey, your sins are forgiven. That's easy. What's easier? Can I tell him to get up and walk? Which one would you rather do? What would you rather see? And so Jesus says, There, knowing that, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Jesus says to this man, his greatest need first. Because of his faith, your sins are forgiven. That's his greatest need. And so they look at him and say, That's, anybody can say that. Anybody can do that. But so he could prove that he had the authority to do it, he says, get up and walk. And here what we see with this lame man is the same thing. It would have been easy for Peter and John to say, walk by him and say, hey, just, just say, uh, uh, just call upon Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. And leave him right there. But to prove the power of the name of Christ to forgive sins, they say, rise up and walk. And he does. You see, the greatest need we have is not to walk. The greatest need we have is not to eat. The greatest need we have is not to have our coffers filled with silver or gold. The greatest need we have is to have our sins forgiven. And the only one who can do that is Christ Jesus. And so when he says, he says, rise up and walk, he's telling this lame man to do something he's not fit or able to do, but there is one who can do it for him. And so when the Lord says, follow me, when the Lord says, have your sins forgiven, there is one who can forgive us of our sins if we turn to that one. And that is why this is a new walk with a new power. But it's because now we walk as those who've had our sins forgiven, not as simply those who were lame and now can leap. We walk as those who've had our sins forgiven. Jesus, Jesus' name has the power to forgive sins. And this miracle that happens is referred to as a sign, if you will. And why is that? Because it points or testifies to something greater. Your sins are forgiven. The power of the name of Christ to forgive sins. While Peter commanded the impossible, nothing is impossible with God. And there is his power. This sign testifies to the restoring nature, the restoring power of God to not only forgive sins, but to correct whatever pain, whatever heartache, whatever sorrow, whatever difficulty sin has created on this earth. 
For him, being able to say, this lame man, get up and walk, it testifies that not only has the power to forgive his sins, but to make what was wrong right again. He can take not only his sins away, but he can also take away the effects of sin on our life in every step. And because of that, we look for that day that is coming when all of the power of sin has been removed and its effects have been dealt with, and we are all restored and made right again before the Lord God Almighty. This points to that time. And how you walk in this and how you follow in this is important, right? And so he says... Not only is this a new walk with a new power, it's a new access with a new praise. Things change here for the lame man quickly. He's raised up and he walks. He was outside the temple, not able to come in, but now where does he go? Right inside to worship. There's a new access that is created for him because of what Christ Jesus has done. He entered the temple with them for the first time in his life. He'd been sitting outside that gate, and now finally he's able to go inside with them. And before he had nothing to thank God for, before surely he was depressed, before surely he was out there just longing for a better day, hoping this would be over, the monotony of it all, dealing with this issue he had of lameness, not being able to do anything else but sit right there. Before it was like that. But now, it says he was leaping, and he was walking, and he was praising. He was leaping, and he repeats it twice. He was leaping, and he was walking, and he was praising. I think all of us in this room have the imaginative capabilities to think about that lame man and how he was after he got saved, right? Just consider this. He'd been sitting there forever begging and now he can walk and he's leaping and he's walking and he's praising God. He's running through the temple and just like Jesus flipped over the tables that day when the temple wasn't being used for what it should be used for, on this day there was a raucous created in the temple because the name of Christ had come and what Christ brings is this sheer joy. And here is the change. If it's this transformed life, here is this heart change. Many of us think about the change that comes because of Christ as some sort of outward improvement, behavior modification. That's what we want to see from our kids, right? You change, you you call upon Christ, so we're going to change the way we act or behave. Many people think that the change that Jesus brings is some intellectual addition, if you will. And so in other words, we just learn more things about him. We fill our mind up with things about the Lord, knowledge of doctrine, knowledge of scripture, knowledge of those things. Many people think this change that brings us, that Jesus brings to us is just felt experience. Therefore, our worship becomes more sensory, if you will. We, we feel it more when we're in worship. That's what he brings. But what I want you to understand is that's not it. All of that can come from someone who has a rotten heart deep down within. What's it is something far deeper. You can do all of those things and not not be a believer, not be a follower, not know Jesus. You can do all of those things. What we're talking about in knowing him in this new day that comes is something far deeper. It's a deep sense of knowing that your sins have been forgiven, that somebody has done something for you you could have never done for yourself. Somebody has given you the greatest of gifts, 
Somebody has taken away your sins and given you a hope for a day when everything will be made right again. Somebody has granted you eternity with him forever, eternal life. What happens in this change is something greater and deeper than just simply behavior modification and intellectual knowledge and felt experience. It is knowing that what you could not do for yourself has been done for you. And you have life now. And you leap and you praise God and you run for joy because it's a new day with a new perspective and a new walk with a new power. And now you have access to enter into the very throne room of God by the name of Jesus Christ. So you have joy. You have joy. Today is a new day for those who believe. Sure, your behavior may change, but not for behavior changing sake. Your behavior changes because you love Jesus and what he's done for you. Sure, your worship becomes more intense and greater, but why? Because you know you were lost and lame and had no power to save yourself, but he made the lame to walk again. In fact, you know that you were that beggar sitting by that gate if it was not for Christ. You were the one looking for just a little scrap of something to get you some hope, and what came to you was far greater than a scrap. It was the hope of all eternity. That's who you were. And you respond to this in joy, leaping and walking and praising God. It's new. That's what the believer does. That's why we walk differently and we see people differently because what we know now is I've got something that they desperately need. I'm going to give it to them. To walk by them would be a criminal act. You know now what joy you found and they can't find it anywhere else. So I'm going to let them know about it because to not let them know would be a criminal act. This joy that you have pours over. This praise that you have pours out. A deep sense of gratitude, a deep sense of desire to follow takes over. You become a new creation. The only question I have for you to make sure of some things is, is that you today? Can you say with the Apostle Paul, the old has passed away and all things new? Can you say with, with this lame man that I once was, was blind, but now I see? I once was lame and now I can walk. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. That, my friends, is the heart of Christianity. That's why they were infatuated with Jesus and he was everything for them. They were following him. They were following him. And I pray for each and every one of us that that is where our hearts are as well. With thanksgiving, new creations, walking differently, praising more loudly, all because of what Christ Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good for us. God, and I pray that each and every heart in this room reflects the heart of thanksgiving toward you. God, may everybody in this room Rejoice like this lame man that they have their sins forgiven. They have new life in them. They have joy that is irreplaceable and no one can take it from them. God, may they rejoice today. And may their hearts be overflowing. 
All of this we can only ask by the power of your name. If you're here today and you want to respond to this message in a way to say, that's me, I need that, I want that joy, then we'll have somebody waiting in the back to meet you, one of our ministers, some of our team will be waiting in the back to meet you today. At the same time, let's rejoice together for who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and sing.